Well, thanks very much, Robin, for a most generous introduction. Can I acknowledge uh, the people of the Kulin Nation as the traditional custodians of the land, uh, pay my respects to their elders, to all Indigenous people present, and commit myself to the implementation of the Uluru Statement for the Heart, uh, which begins with voting yes this Saturday. I'd like to thank uh, Monash University, the National University of Singapore and the Centre for Evidence and Evaluation uh, and Implementation for hosting today's summit. Uh, it's terrific to see how many of you are committed to closing the no-do <coughs> gap, the gap between what we know and what we do in government. Uh, the title of my presentation is Changing the World, One Coin Toss at a Time. And I chose this title because the simple act of tossing a coin can help us get the evidence we need to address the most difficult problems. Heads, a group receives the intervention, tails, they're in the control group. From there, we can establish a counterfactual and begin to evaluate what works and what doesn't. Recently, at the National Press Club at the Australian Evaluation Society Conference, I've spoken about randomised trials, their origin in medicine, and the need to embed evaluation in the work of government. I've talked about social impact and how rigorous evaluation can give us a good metric of program effectiveness. I've also talked about the, how the increased availability of large integrated administrative data sets can help us conduct evaluations more quickly and cheaply. Making data and evaluation a match, if you like, made in policy heaven. And today I want to zoom out a little and discuss what best practice use of evidence looks like. In doing that, I'm going to start by drawing on the Global Commission on Evidence report that came out last year, on which I served as one of 25 international commissioners. Led by Professor John Lavis and the Secret Secretariat at McMaster University in Canada, the report concluded that evidence is not being systematically used by government policymakers, organisational leaders, professionals and citizens to equitably address societal challenges. The Global Commission on Evidence report provides three headline observations. First, evidence is for everyone. The Global Commission on report says we need to put evidence at the centre of our everyday lives. At an individual level, we need access to sound evidence to make the right choices about our wellbeing, about the products and services we receive or are supported by, about the causes to which we donate. Government policymakers, organisation leaders and professionals are included in that definition of everyone. We need to use evidence to its best advantage and build into our decision-making making processes to improve the lives of the people and communities we serve. Second, we need to, to apply critical thinking to differentiate between stronger and weaker forms of evidence. For example, a single study can generate a lot of media excitement. But the Global Commission re recommends that when we hear about such studies, we should seek out a critical appraisal. Or if you're a wonk, you can think about John Iandy's uh, finding, uh, why, uh, a research paper titled controversially, Why Most Published Research Findings Are False. Better yet, we should seek out an evidence synthesis that incorporates that study along with its related studies to understand the effect of a particular policy or program. 
Likewise, we should be wary of eminence-based decision-making when it replaces evidence-based decision-making. We'll always need to rely on experts because we don't have time to develop the same level of knowledge and expertise if we're ranging across multiple areas. But the best experts will be able to share and summarise the evidence, or even better, the evidence synthesis that their advice is based on. Third, especially in government, we need to nurture all elements of a national evidence infrastructure. The research system, such as universities and research funding bodies, such as the Australian Research Council, the National Health and Medical Research Council, are central parts of that infrastructure. But the Global Commission encourages, encourages us to pay attention to other elements of the evidence infrastructure. The evidence support system refers to the capability, processes and units that support evidence use. In Australia, this includes the requirements for evidence and evaluation set out in the budget process operational rules, which our government has made public for the first time. The evidence implementation system refers to organisations engaged in evidence synthesis in preparation of guidelines based on those syntheses. It also refers to teams in and outside government that are thinking about how to implement evidence. So what does best practice use of evidence look like and can it work in the real world of policy making and implementation? The Education Endowment Foundation was established by the British Government to generate, share and use high quality evidence to inform teachers, school principals and policy makers about what works in improving academic outcomes for disadvantaged students. In effect, the Education Endowment Foundation straddles several features of the evidence infrastructure. It's involved in the research system by commissioning new research, and it's involved in the evidence implementation system by preparing evidence syntheses and guidelines. Robust evaluations, such as randomised trials, are a hallmark of the Foundation's work. In fact, it's one of the leading bodies commissioning randomised trials in education globally, delivering about a fifth of all known education trials in the past decade. Furthermore, the Foundation has commissioned some of the largest education trials. Sample size matters for generating more precise results. Sample size matters too because it lets us conduct analyses for different subgroups to determine not only does the program work, but for whom does it work? As my friend John List puts it, he's never seen a social program that works equally for all subgroups. Over the years, the Foundation's built a knowledge base from which we can learn how to generate and use evidence. One of the best features of the Education Endowment Foundation is the way it makes research accessible. Teachers and decision makers in the education community have classes to teach and schools to run. They don't have time to sift through mountains of studies. To help them to compare and select programs, the Foundation uses a consistent approach and process to deliver and report evaluation results. The Foundation's dashboard uses a padlock rating system to help teachers interpret complex trial results and understand the level of confidence they can have in the evaluation results. An evaluation receiving five padlocks is the equivalent to fine dining at a hatted restaurant. It means you can trust that the evidence is of the highest quality. 
By contrast, a rating of zero padlocks would be a hit-and-miss pizza joint. In other words, the study adds little to the evidence base, and worse, may cause indigestion. <laughs> when educators ask for support for a new program, cost is likely to be the first thing that comes up in that conversation. And so the Education Endowment Foundation dashboard rates the cost-effectiveness of interventions. For example, the University of Oxford evaluated a program called First Class at Number, a numeracy intervention used by over 4,000 schools. The researchers found pupils in the program made, on average, two months additional progress in maths. The evaluation was rated four padlocks, a high confidence rating. And the intervention was well rated on implementation costs at £77 per student. The Foundation lists more than 200 projects, including the Institute of Fiscal Studies evaluation of the Magic Breakfast Project in 2017. The Magic Breakfast Project is a free, universal, before-school breakfast club for year two to six pupils in the UK, aimed at improving academic outcomes by increasing the number of children who ate a healthy breakfast. Controlling for variables such as age, school level, socioeconomic status and others the trials suggest two months additional progress was achieved for Grade 2 students, but no benefits for Grade 6 students, although that evidence only received a two-padlock confidence rating. Why two padlocks? Well, the study was originally designed as a randomised trial, which might have got it a full five padlocks, but there was an error in the randomisation process. Confidently, consequently, it was reanalysed using regression analysis which meant the evaluation wasn't as reliable. The main impact evaluation was accompanied by a process evaluation, comprising a survey of teachers and extensive interviews with parents, teachers, students and delivery staff. They were used to understand barriers to take up and features of effective delivery of the breakfast clubs. What does that tell us? Well, it tells us that it's not just eating breakfast that delivers improvement, but attending the club. That could be due to the content of the breakfast itself or to other social and educational benefits of the club. Teachers reported in a survey that student behaviour improved in breakfast clubs. That's interesting because breakfast clubs may improve outcomes for children who don't attend breakfast club by improving the classroom environment. A basic implementation challenge for the program was how to increase take-up. One approach was to promote it to parents and encourage all children to attend, while sensitively targeting pupils most likely to benefit. The promising results of the Magic Breakfast trial led to the expansion of breakfast clubs to 1,775 schools in a national school breakfast program, addressing the concerns of the original evaluation by delivering several models. That included a traditional sit-down breakfast club, a healthy grab-and-go breakfast in the playground, and breakfast in the form of a soft start, where classrooms opened early for breakfast. Coin tossing and education evaluations are also happening in Australia. Established in 2015, the Australian spin-off for the Education Endowment Foundation is the Evidence for Learning initiative. Like its UK counterpart, Evidence for Learning aims to help make great practice become common practice by improving the quality, availability and use of evidence in education. 
In doing so, Evidence for Learning has published the results and summaries of randomised trials evaluating the eff effectiveness of several education programs in Australian schools. The independent evaluation reports are valuable because they provide key considerations for teachers, school leaders, program developers and decision makers. For example, the Teachers and Teaching Research Centre at the University of Newcastle evaluated the Quick Smart Numeracy Program in 2019. Teachers delivered the Quick Smart Tutoring Program over 90 sessions across 30 weeks to Year 4 to Year 8 students to improve their fluency in basic maths. The researchers assessed more than 280 students from 23 schools in a tutoring program against a control group of students who continued their regular maths classes. There was strong evidence that Quick Smart improved primary school students' interest in maths and confidence in maths. But curiously, it didn't have a positive impact on their maths achievement. This evaluation has a high evidence rating of four padlocks. It's an important finding that reflects an issue we often see in evaluation. While interest and confidence improved, those changes didn't translate to an improvement in the main outcome of interest. The researchers found schools had trouble timetabling the sessions. None of the secondary schools achieved 90% or more of the program. So it might be that the apparent failure of QuickSmart to improve maths achievement might be due to implementation challenges and program design. The next step for policymakers is to decide whether it's worth investing in achieving better content design and attendance rates, or whether they should cut their losses and look elsewhere. I'll come back to the issue of implementation in just a sec. The next Australian example is one of the largest randomised controlled trials in education in Australia. In 2018, the Australian Council for Education Research evaluated the Thinking Maths program, a program for maths teachers to better engage with middle school students. That eva evaluation involved more than 150 schools in South Australia who were randomly assigned to an intervention group or a control group. Importantly, no one missed out on the program. The first group started the program in Term 1. The second group act like, acted as a control group and started in Term 4. That's a really common way of conducting a randomised trial because it ensures the control group eventually gets the intervention. If programs have to be rolled out progressively, why wouldn't you randomise and learn something from a staggered rollout design? Thinking maths required maths teachers to attend 30 hours of face-to-face -face professional learning to make their maths teaching more engaging. The evaluation found that thinking maths had a small positive effect on students, mainly the primary <coughs> school cohort. But researchers said the largest statistically significant effect was on the teachers, including their content knowledge, professional identity and self-efficacy. Those evaluations are a positive start, but there's more to do. Collectively, such evaluations can provide a fuller understanding of what works across a range of programs and practices in the context of Australian schools. Teachers can weigh up information about effectiveness, cost, and the quality of the evidence to make informed decisions. The evaluations offer valuable lessons to improve how we produce and share evidence. Effective educational interventions depend not just on having a great idea, but implementing it effectively. 
Nowhere is this better illustrated than in a new research paper by economists Noam Ankarist and Rachel Maher. They explore a policy known as targeted instruction, which involves regrouping students by learning proficiency rather than by grade. In low and middle income countries, this approach uses customised and engaging teaching and learning that's targeted to the learning level of the child. The World Bank, government aid agencies and non-government donors are actively engaged in scaling up targeted instruction programs, such as India's Teaching to the Right Level program. Yet Angrist and Ma show that while the implementation of targeted instruction programs, well, the impact is positive, the effects vary markedly from 0.07 to 0.78 standard deviations. That's a tenfold increase, a tenfold difference in effectiveness. Using a new randomised trial in Botswana, they show that when the program is implemented with high fidelity, it can deliver average gains of 0.8 standard deviations. Improving implementation is as important as having a good program in the first place. While that finding comes from a developing country context, the broad lesson applies to Australia. It's not enough to have good interventions. We also need to ensure they're implemented effectively. If we want to change children's lives for the better, we need to sweat the details. Many of the problems governments face in public policy are difficult. If it was easy to close life expectancy gaps, education gaps or employment gaps, past generations would have done it by now. The fact these challenges persist means good intentions aren't enough. So there's an opportunity for governments to become better consumers of evidence. We can raise the bar by making sure claims about a policy or program's effectiveness are based on quality evidence. By tossing a coin and establishing a counterfactual, that is establishing what would have happened if the policy wasn't implemented, the Australian Public Service can help produce and share evidence about what works and what doesn't. So as you know, we've established the Australian Centre for Evaluation within Treasury uh, to provide leadership and make rigorous evaluation a normal part of developing policy programs. I'd like to acknowledge uh, Eleanor, Harry and others from the uh, Australian Centre for Evaluation who are here today. Over the years, the Australian Centre for Evaluation will improve the volume, quality and impact of evaluations across the public service. As well as championing randomised trials and other high quality inter interventions, the centre will partner with government agencies to initiate a small number of high quality impact evaluations each year. I can announce today that ACE has entered into its first partnership agreement to support high quality impact evaluations. That partnership will be with the Department of Employment and Workplace Relations and will use randomised trials to evaluate different features of online employment services. All planned trials will be subject to ethics review, consistent with the National Statement on Ethical Conduct in Human Research. We'll provide further details about those trials when they're further advanced, but the intention is that they'll commence uh, from the next year. So in conclusion, in our favourite cop shows, the crucial evidence is guarded under lock and key. But the policy evidence locker should be just the opposite. Evidence should be for everyone. It's not about convicting a wrongdoer, it's about providing lessons to avoid repeating 
often costly policy mistakes. The Global Commission on Evidence uh, report goes to the value of focusing on evidence syntheses rather than single studies. In detective land, this is akin to not only having fingerprints, but also CCTV footage to corroborate the evidence. After working on the Evidence Commission report, I'm even more passionate about the need for randomised policy evaluations. We can learn too from the Education Endowment Foundation model. That shows it's possible to find interventions that are both low cost and effective. It shows the club is just as important as the breakfast. But most of all, the Foundation shows it's possible to build a knowledge base from which we can generate and use evidence to improve outcomes. Likewise, the Australian offshoot, Evidence for Learning, is following in the Foundation's footsteps. All levels of government have a role in evaluating their policies and closing the no-do gap. We've established the Australian Centre for Evaluation to lead the way in building a better feedback loop and help build a culture of continuous improvement within the public service. We can improve our policy interventions and address our most difficult challenges, one coin toss at the time. But the coin toss is only the start of the evidence building process. We also need to bank evidence, share it and implement it. Thanks very much. <laughs>